The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 68 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize a little opinions expressed in the show on my own, and not that my president or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to or reserved to my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest interesting news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. There's a great recap of last week's episode, the major privacy and compliance issues and legislation that we saw during 2018 with the head of information security and data protection for the Matrix Medical Network, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. So last week was Dr. Wynn's third appearance on the show. She's an absolutely wonderful guest to have on because people are just really interested in what she has to say on a variety of different topics, but especially around data privacy and data security. And that was the theme of the show last week. So Dr. Wynn has really made a name for herself in this space. I mean, she just won SE Magazine's 2017 Chief Privacy Officer of the Year Award about a year and a half ago. Uh, and since then, she's just on fire. I mean, she's had other, many other prestigious awards and accolades that she's received over the last few years. And she's had dozens of published writings on cybersecurity and data privacy. She has a huge following on social media that is growing every day. And I just think people really like to read what she publishes. And, and, and look, thousands of women, tens of thousands of women look up to her as a role model, not only in the cybersecurity space, but as a business executive, and one of the primary pillars of our mission here at Task Force 7 Radio is to promote diversity and to be an advocate for women and other minorities who want to break in to a career in cybersecurity. So it's right in line with our mission to have her on uh, and have her on often. And the show is just fantastic. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. Dr. Wynn gave us her thoughts around the recent high-profile breaches what the deal is with Facebook and where they're going with all the recent problems in the media around privacy. We also talked about Apple and their recent marketing efforts to promote their company as the bastions for privacy. And she gave a step-by-step -step overview of the most prominent privacy legislation around the globe in 2018. That was just really quite impressive. So if you want a very succinct, intelligent, but comprehensive recap of the data security events that have occurred over the last year, and you're wondering what all this might mean to you and your business, tune into last week's episode of Task Force 7 Radio, 
That's episode number 67 with the head of information security and data protection for the Matrix Medical Network, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. And don't forget, Dr. Wynn's going to be uh, the keynote speaker at the upcoming FutureCon 2019 conference in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. I think uh, it's at the end of this month. I think it's on the 31st. So if you're interested in hearing her speak in person, I would definitely check it out. The weather's supposed to be beautiful out there this time of year. I think it's like the highs are like 74, the lows are like 63 this week or something. And that sounds really good since we're uh, sitting in the, the, you know, in the middle of an ice storm up here in, in beautiful New York City with uh, like six degree weather. So what uh, Scottsdale sounded really good right now. It's at the end of the month. Check it out. FutureCon 2019 conference. Dr. Wynn's giving the keynote speech. So make sure you check out the TF7 podcast library on your favorite playback medium to see what the encore episode of the month is. And if there is any extra extras, the TF7 extras being posted out there, uh, that we post them once in a while, it's kind of random, so there's no announcement or anything. We just kind of just put it right out there. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to the December encore episode, it's one of my favorites. It's with my good friend Richard Kessler. It's the director of KPMG Cybersecurity Advisory Practice talking about the importance and efficiency of unified governance models. The December Encore episode is episode number 38 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 episodes on playback. You can find TF7 Radio on a total of nine different playback mediums, including iTunes.com, Google Play, TuneIn.com, Stitcher.com, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, ListenNotes.com, the show's very own website at TF7Radio.com, and of course, the number one internet talk radio producer in the world at VoiceAmerica.com. So all in all, nine different options to get your TF7 Radio fix, everyone. We're everywhere. You can't miss us. If you Google Task Force 7 Radio, you're going to get all your options. Check us out. TF7 Radio Playback at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe. We love it. We love it when you subscribe. That's how you get the notifications on the new weekly episodes, the TF7 Extras, and the Encore episodes you might have missed in the past if you're a new listener. Subscribing is definitely the way to go. So, yes, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it once again, folks. It's just nonstop here. Week after week after week, we're bringing you the best guests in the industry, and I'm just loving it. You know, I was out to dinner last week with some of my close friends, and we were talking uh, about some business issues, some cybersecurity issues, and there are some very senior cybersecurity and business executives. Um, so, And they commented during dinner. They were like, hey, look, you know, I commented on – Task Force 7 Radio and, and, and how impressed they were with the guest list. So the guest list is really, really on fire. And I've come to be pretty proud of that. You know, I've, I'm pretty proud of the, the, the people that we have on this show. Um, I'm proud of the reputation that we have garnered in the industry over the last year. I don't know another cybersecurity radio show that consistently over an extended period of time produces the quality of the tier one cybersecurity professionals that we do here at Task Force 7 Radio. And Folks, this week isn't going to be any different. Tonight, we're going to have Dean Lane on the show with us this evening. Mr. Lane is currently the Vice President of Cybersecurity for the Institute of World Politics in Washington, D.C. He was responsible for seven cyber intelligence certifications offered by the university. Mr. Lane also brings 20 years of experience in Silicon Valley to the table. He's worked for such companies as Adelaide Signal, Plantronics, 
and Morton Theoko. He's also worked as a cybersecurity consultant for Ernst & Young, Gartner, AT&T, and he has run his own consultancy in Silicon Valley as well. Mr. Lane is the author of three number one best-selling information security books. And one of the things I would like to highlight the most from his background is that Mr. Lane is a highly decorated United States Naval officer. He served as a captain in the U.S. Navy and as a SEAL team officer for the Commander-in-Chief Pacific Fleet. Dean obtained his undergraduate degree from the University of California and his MBA from National University. I am very excited to have this American hero on the show with us this evening. Mr. Dean Lane, thank you for your service and welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Well, thank you for having me, George. Well, it's good. It's nice to have you here. And I want to kick off the show by you maybe telling our audience a little bit about the IWP, the Institute of World Politics, and what that's all about and what you're doing down there. Okay, the, uh, the Institute of World Politics is now 28 years old. Um, it started out because of a need for uh, people who could go into either government service or uh, go to companies uh, and understand um, different facets of statecraft, um, of diplomacy, uh, and how to be a good citizen. Uh, I'll put it that way. Uh, we're neither left nor right. Um, we believe in the Constitution, uh, and we want to present world affairs in a realistic manner. Um, we're dedicated to developing leaders with a sound understanding of the international realities and the ethical conduct of statecraft. Um, we offer five master degrees one doctoral degree, and 19 uh, certificate programs, which includes, <clears throat> excuse me, which includes a professional certification in cyber intelligence. Um, and the cyber intelligence um, certification, there are currently eight courses being offered. Um, they cover they cover the span of what uh, what you might expect artificial intelligence um, insider threat is of particular interest um, cyber international relations um, cyber terrorism um, uh, another one which is pretty interesting is uh, developing a cyber strategy um, and, and that's uh, Pretty much the institute. We're um, we're not a large school. We have 150 students at any given time. So, so it's pretty interesting, you know, because I, I love politics. I've I've always been interested in, in politics and how the world of politics even uh, intersects with cybersecurity now, right? So it's it's actually two different worlds intersecting at the same place and. And there's a lot that goes on in this space. And I've been looking at the, the, the Institute and reviewing some of the things that you offer there, and it's incredibly interesting. Could you tell our audience a little bit more about the mission of the Institute and what kind of work you do there? Okay, so um, the, cyber in, the, the mission of the Institute is uh, to enlighten people who are going into government service. About two years ago, um, no, it's actually maybe three years ago, they started the Cyber Intelligence Initiative. 
and cyber intelligence. If you go up on the internet and you look, you'll see a lot of people saying that they do or they offer cyber intelligence. Not necessarily so. They're they're pretty much stuck in the cybersecurity area, um, which is fine. Um, but cyber intelligence takes it pretty much to to another level. Uh, so it's um, you know counter espionage. It is um, what is the role of a foreign counter intelligence person? So somebody who we would consider an adversary. Why are they there? What are they doing? Um, and how does cyber fit? And that's important because if you can understand their motivation, what they're looking for, uh, what their capabilities are, then you have a real chance of either setting them off to the side or blocking their efforts. So it's, um, it's a very exciting field. Um, and cybersecurity is definitely a large part of it, uh, but we definitely go go to another area or another realm uh, and bring in uh, tools that people can use. So I find this very interesting because I don't know that there's too many cyber intelligence other certification degrees, and there's there's really no programs out there from a, a higher educational you know, perspective that I could see. I mean, uh, I don't see them. So this is fascinating what you do. Um, what kind of, what kind of classes would people take for the certification? Um, these, the classes that we have typically are, uh, 40 hours long. Um, some of the professors run a, a class, um, eight hours a day for five Saturdays. Uh, some professors do, every pick a day of the week, let's say Wednesday, every Wednesday uh, from six to nine, and that goes on for 13 weeks. So um, it's interesting because we have a a very low number of students per instructor. It's usually somewhere around 12, 12 students for every instructor. And so there's some flexibility, and um, I've seen professors at the beginning of a course say, well, this is what was advertised, but if it's, you know, if it's a burden or if we want to change the dates and the meeting times, if it can be accommodated, they will do it. Um, and these, these courses that are taught are taught by people who are practitioners. So they are academics. Uh, some teach it other schools as well. Uh, We have one professor who um, teaches at the National Defense University, uh, which most of what they do is classified, um, and and all of what we do is unclassified. Uh, But I I would make the comment that you can find 90% of classified material out on the internet. So if if you are a good researcher, uh, you can be very well. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the classic case of everything being overclassified, things that we talk about all the time that we have to solve that problem. We can do a whole other episode on that one. Um, the, the, one of the things you mentioned yeah. before was yeah. the... What's that? Yeah, the other, the other thing I'd like to bring up is, is remaining current, okay? Okay. So if, if you're a, a cybersecurity guy and you're just working on the things that you know uh, to protect your company, 
and you're not you're not pursuing some kind of um, additional information or education, uh, you're essentially standing still. And the rest of the world, especially especially the the bad players, are moving forward and developing new new concepts and new ways of doing things. Um, so it's imperative that people, whether they come to the Institute of World Politics or they attend seminars or, or webinars or whatever, it's essential that they continue to learn and continue to gather information. You know, and that leads me to my next question. I, I was just going to mention the fact that you said that you had a several master's degrees and a doctoral degree, and I think 19 certification programs and one of them is obviously the cyber intelligence certification that you just mentioned. Are there any other cybersecurity related certifications at the Institute? Um, no, currently we just have the one, but the, the strategic plan for um, cyber intelligence is to uh, continue to, to refine and develop these courses. Eventually they will become part of a master's degree. Um, and so they will be electives at the very beginning. Um, and then what will happen is when we have enough of those electives, um, they will become an emphasis within any degree program. And then the final step will be to pull them all together out of all these programs and create uh, a master's degree in cyber intelligence. But we're a year or two away from that. I was just going to ask how long you think that's off. But if I had, if I got my uh, certification in cyber intelligence now, and then the master's degree came about a year or two from now, could I still apply those credits to the master's degree? Um, I don't have the answer to that. Um, okay. We're we're accredited by uh, Middle States. That's the accrediting agency. And so the steps that we're taking, you know, they have to approve every course. Um, before we can do anything. And so that would be something we'd have to work out with them. But Where's I can the, see it's possible. Right, it's possible. Okay, interesting. Where's the institute located? Uh, we are about six blocks from the White House. Uh, we're on the corner, well, the closest known intersection is 16th and P Street. Uh, we're actually one block over on Church, but uh, 16th and, and P Street, most people will know where that is. Right. And so can you take classes remotely online, too? Or um, Okay. So we are working on that. Um, we're, it's actually underway right now. Uh, but it'll, it, you know, I'm going to say it's going to take four to six months uh, before we actually have it working because... It's not just bring it up, you know, we have to test it and we have to refine it. Uh, the other thing that's in the works is a campus in Reston, Virginia. Um, and of course, that's a whole nother thing because we have to go to the state of Virginia and get them to bless us um, and, and the middle state certification that we have. So, and that will be within a year. Awesome, well, it sounds like you got a lot going on over there. We gotta take some time to go to commercial break. Well, we're right back to talk about more about your, your career and, you know, some of the things you've done and fascinating stories that you have and how you got into cybersecurity. Cool. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on LinkedIn by searching at Task Force 7 Radio. 
and on Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram by searching at TS7 Radio. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, as well as other business communications, please email me directly at george.redis at taskforce7radio.com. That's george.redis at taskforce7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get it in the fight. We're going to pause for a few minutes for some words from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Vice President of Cybersecurity for the Institute of World Politics, Mr. Dean Lane. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the Vice President of Cybersecurity for the Institute of World Politics, 
Mr. Dean Lane. So, Dean, our listeners love to hear stories about how cybersecurity executives ended up in this space. They like to see or hear about the, 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 the trip, right? The trip that people take throughout oh, their careers, sure. ending them up in the, in, in, as an executive and the, getting a, a position like you have. Obviously, you have a very storied career with a, many diverse experiences. But can you tell me a little bit about your background, where you went to school, your first job, that thing, you know, how you just got into the, the, your career? So uh, I, I, was, I did my undergraduate work at UCLA. And um, upon graduating, I went down to Coronado Island with the Special Forces down there. The spec, it's called Spec War, Special Warfare Group. Um, and near, near the time that I was going to get out of the Navy, I was on a fishing trip. And there happened to be a vice president uh, from what is now Honeywell. At that time, it was Allied Signal. And he and I hit it off pretty good. Um, there was a lot of bantering, you know. Uh, well, you Navy guys don't do anything, and oh, you civilians don't know how to work. I think, but but we developed a, a good rapport. And uh, as we were driving back to the airport, he said, um, "You know, if if you ever uh, want a job, come and see me." I said, "You don't have enough work to keep me busy." Um, but I got out like a year later, and I went and saw him, and he pulled me in uh, to Allied Signal, and actually moved me back and forth between manufacturing and information technology. Um, so that was a, a period of learning for me. Uh, of course, then at that time, back then, the problem statement was a little different. Um, there was no true internet. Um, there was an internet, but uh, it was all text-based, so there were no graphics. Uh, you had to know the URL in order to get to a site and those kinds of things. So the kinds of security that we were doing at that time was related to um, in, internal issues. So uh, software that we were developing because there were no off-the-shelf platforms to speak of other than ADP. Um, and so th that was the beginning I then uh, went to an organization called Control Data Institute. This is in Los Angeles. Um, and I studied um, four and a half hours a night, four nights a week for 13 months. And, uh, and when I came out, uh, I was much more knowledgeable. Um, I knew many more things. And we continued to work on programs and uh, security. Uh, and so from there, I, I, I stayed there 11 years because, as I said, it was truly an education. And then I went to work for Ernst & Young. And Ernst & Young wanted me because I could do the cybersecurity thing, but I also understood manufacturing. And, of course, they're, they want you not to sit on the bench. They want you out billing hours. Um, and from Ernst & Young, I went to Morton Thiokol. Now, Thiokol um, is the group that does the solid rocket motor boosters that lift the space shuttle into outer space. So I was the CIO there and actually became the IT department for the rocket scientists, which was pretty interesting. Smart guys, but when they didn't get it, you couldn't say, now look, this isn't rocket science, because they were all <laughs> rocket scientists. So, 
I quickly learned to say, this isn't brain surgery. Um, and you can imagine with NASA, um, you know, we were building these rocket motor boosters for NASA. The security requirements were ratcheted way up um, in terms of uh, just the data that we gathered and collected on these solid rocket motor boosters. Um, and then I left there uh, to go to the Silicon Valley. Um, if you're wearing a headset, uh, there's an 80% chance that it's made by Plantronics. And that's the company I went to um, there and, and marched them through the Y2K project, um, which if you think about it was, was not necessarily security, but um, felt like a security project because everything had to be checked and everything had to be looked at and there had to be no holes anywhere. Um, and I stayed there for almost five years. Um, then I went to Gartner. Gartner, as you know, is a, a consulting and research firm uh, totally dedicated to technology. And so I learned quite a bit there. Um, you know, it, it seems like the more I learn, the less I know because there's so much to, to learn. Um, and I stayed there. I ran their, their Silicon Valley um, technology consulting service uh, and then later on uh, took on the rest of the West Coast. Um, and then I left there to go to Symantec. So um, if you really want, want an education in security, Go to work for McAfee, go to work for Symantec, go to work for any one of these, these firms. Uh, because at Symantec, the engineers think in terms of seconds. Um, they can't afford to get a virus. They can't afford to be hacked. Uh, because if they do, they're done, right? Who's good? Yeah, buy our, buy our security software. We only get hacked once a week. No, it's just. So the engineers think in terms of seconds, and that kind of permeates the whole organization. Um, you know, when you do a project um, and, you, and you go in looking for funding and you say, this is a four-month four project and it's going to cost a million dollars. The first thing they ask you is, if, if we give you two million dollars, can you do it in two months? So um, Symantec was a very interesting place to work uh, in terms of security. You know, um, that's all they did at the time. Uh, they later, later bought another company, but at that time, that's all they did. Um, and then I, I discovered that if I went out on my own, um, I would be able to um, be in more places, meaning more companies, um, and since I was in the Silicon Valley, it was a, um, a whole host of companies that, that uh, I could go work at. And I got a real education there because I was seeing many different problems uh, and helping to solve many different problems. Um, let me just give you one example. Uh, there's a company out there, <coughs> excuse me, a small startup company there, chip manufacturer. Um, and they, uh, they, they provide chips for Samsung telephones. 
So I was brought in to ramp up their security. So, you know, we did the normal things, took an inventory of all the, all the uh, devices on the network and uh, took an inventory of all the software. And then we worked with them to eliminate software that shouldn't be on the, on the network. And uh, that was monitored on a daily basis. And one day, a steganography program showed up. So uh, for, for some of the people that don't know what steganography is, it is a program that will allow you um, to take a picture, any, any kind of a graphic, and load data into it. And, and it's, the data is not visible to anybody. Uh, the, the picture looks the same. The size is still, everything's the same. But then if you take that, that graphic or that picture and send it to somebody and they have a steganography program, they can download all the data that you have loaded into that, into that picture or graphic. So it's really um, a contentious tool, I'll say. Uh, you really don't need it unless you're trying to hide something. And it popped up on the net. Uh, we got to the CFO. It turned out to be the number two engineer in the company. Um, so there are you know, things that you have to look for, um, especially when you, when you start thinking about what about the internals. Um, also, just one point on insider threat. Insider threat is, is not necessarily somebody who's there to spy on anybody, but it is um, employees who are not familiar with security who may email something that, you know, just unconsciously send something that shouldn't be sent. And as soon as they do, it's out there. So I want to just backtrack a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you, you, you were pivoting a lot in your career. You were pivoting a lot and you were mm -hmm. going back and forth between consultancies and being a practitioner. And how did that work out for you? And, you know, it, it would, were, it was it better to, in the consultancy, obviously, to actually have be a practitioner? in your former life to come and say, hey, look, I've done this, I've been there, done that, and I have this experience. How helpful was that to you and your consultant, especially when you started your own consultancy? Okay, so um, if you haven't been a practitioner, uh, it's hard to be an independent consultant. You may go to work for an Ernst & Young or a Deloitte right. or anybody like that, uh, but you have no credibility with practitioners. Uh, they they want people that have been in the seat and felt the pain. Now, there's plenty it's of people not, out there, though, that, ha that come in to, to sell themselves and sit down and tell you what you should be doing with your business and your organizational models that have never been in that seat before, right? <laughs> but that's right. And those are the people who come in and take your watch. You know, they, let me borrow your watch. They take your watch, they look at it, they tell you what time it is, and when they give you back your watch, they charge you money. So, um, you know, being in the seat also implies that you've had the pressures that come with that job. It's not just go make us secure or, hey, we've been hacked, go fix it. Um, it's all the people, all the phone calls. It's, you know, it's the president of the company going, how long is this going to take? And it's, um, it's that sense of urgency that um, gets drilled into you in the middle of a, of a problem you're trying to solve. 
So ha- having the practitioner experience um, gives you the credibility to come in and actually help help solve problems. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, it's like, it's like reading a book about swimming in the ocean, okay? So you may know something about swimming in the ocean, but that's totally different than going down to the beach and diving in and swimming a half mile in the ocean. Um, I can't say enough about having practitioner experience. So, you know, how, you're an entrepreneur as well. You had your own business. And, you know, in today's market, the, the solution sets out there are getting more complicated. It seems like there's entrepreneurs popping up everywhere in the cybersecurity space. Do you have any recommendations for, for these folks out there trying to make a living and build a successful business? Yeah, so uh, there, there's two things. What I did was I created a small community. Uh, I wasn't trying to become ISACA or SANS or anybody like that. But I got local people to come together and meet once a month. And uh, we had a roundtable. And so they would come in and say, I have this, you know, somebody would say, I have this issue. Uh, and then we would ask questions about, about the problem they're trying to solve. And we would come up with recommendations. Uh, some some were great and some were kind of silly, but it was more of a let brainstorm some recommendations. Um, and and that was a way for me to to gather information about what was happening out there. So if you get to the leading edge of of what the issues are, what the problems are, and importantly, what works in terms of a of a solution then you become a valuable consultant and you start to build a reputation. The other thing I would tell you is if somebody doesn't trust you, they're not going to hire you. And when I say trust you, I'm saying, okay, you, George, are going to hire me to do something. Um, And so you're thinking, okay, this guy's going to come in and he's going to go take whatever the issue is off of my plate. So I, George, can go do other things that, that I need. If you trust that I can do that and that I will keep you informed, then I'll probably get the job. But if you're thinking, God, I'm going to have to check on this guy and, you know, uh, I'm going to have to show him how to do this, that, and the other, uh, the conclusion you'll come to is I might as well do it myself, right? So it's very important to um, be trustworthy and credible. Uh, to the client. So was your background in the military very helpful in your cybersecurity career? Uh, it was, uh, but, but not necessarily for the reason that you think. Um, you know, I was a special forces guy, and uh, there's a lot of attention to detail and a, a lot of uh, discipline. And I don't mean where they're yelling at you. I mean, uh, discipline in terms of always working out every day, uh, being careful about what you eat, you know, a, a discipline, learning a discipline. Um, and in today's military, it's a perfect entry for, uh, for people who are interested in cybersecurity. Um, cybersecurity is like the number one field today in, in every organization. 
there are more cybersecurity jobs than anything else. And so you can go into the military and they will train you. They will train you from the ground up. And, um, and when you come out, uh, you're already credible. Uh, you've been in the job. You've got uh, experience and, and you've got um, things that you can talk about that you've done. Uh, I can tell you there's, I hope I'm not, yeah. Okay, so there's, there's one program in the Air Force where uh, they observe all of the people that are involved in cybersecurity. And when they get out, they're hired into a single company. And that company provides um, extreme services, I'll say. You know, you got to be really extreme, meaning you've got to be really good at what you do um, in order to, to play in that world. Um, they live, they're, they're points of light that live on the dark side. So, so yeah, the military, military yeah. can be quite helpful. Yeah, I see that there's a lot of people making the transition from the military into the private sector and the cybersecurity space. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of things before. You mentioned the, the you know, time and speed. You mentioned the insider threat. You mentioned, the, you know, the value of a community. When we're talking about time and speed, you have the certification down there at uh, the Institute of World Politics on the cyber intelligence, uh, you know, in the cyber intelligence space, right? And in this certificate, does it emphasize the importance of timing? And do you talk about timing at all uh, when you're uh, teaching these classes? Uh, and what does that look like? Okay, so um, yes, the, let's talk about that just for a second. So let's let's use the example of penetration test. Okay, so a company hires somebody to do a penetration test. They come in, they do it, and they say, "Oh, you got two vulnerabilities right here," um, and and the people go to work and they fix those two vulnerabilities, and the pen test people go away. And the CEO is happy and he sleeps well and everything's magnificent, right? But in terms of time, a pen test is just a point in time. And so tomorrow, um, you could be hacked tomorrow, right after the pen test is all done and resolved. So timing is very important, <clears throat> excuse me, um, from the standpoint of uh, you must be monitoring continuously. The other thing about timing is that um, last year, <coughs> excuse me, last year, um, the average number of days that someone resided on your network who was unwanted was 101 days. So, and, and that's the average for the United States. So if you, if you think that's bad and you're not safe and you wanna to move to Europe, don't do it because they're worse than we are. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, what can, what can that program do that's on your network in 101 days before you discover it? So the other thing you talked about a little bit, you talked a little bit about the insider threat. Do you think that the, you know, especially large corporations, do you think they have a grasp on the insider threat? Do you think it gets enough attention uh, that it deserves? No, I think that um, there's, a, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, the government's starting to get a handle on it. There are students that are sent here from foreign countries. And... Um, 
they're, they come here under the guise of students, but they're really quite literate and they know what they're doing. And sometimes we catch them and you can turn them. And so when they go back home, they're agents working for us rather than the other way around. Um, so that, that's something to be aware of. The other thing is, is that in, in the Insider Threat course, we will teach people what are the elements or the reasons that somebody would betray a company. You know, why, why, why would they do this and, and for what reason? Um, like I say, a big part of the insider threat is, is, um, people not understanding or knowing, uh, what constitutes a threat. Um, I heard a story, (laughs) I heard a story, um, about a man who traveled for his company. He had a laptop. And he was always going to uh, Poland and Germany and places in Europe. And every time he would come back, his computer didn't function properly. And he couldn't figure it out. But, you know, he was over there. They were scanning him. They were on his laptop, and he never knew. Um, And so we figured out a way for him to go with – I'll call it, it was like an iPad, and um, he would just log in, so to speak, um, and do whatever he needed to do. But there there are a lot of things. Um, when people travel, um, that, that they don't even think about, these people who are inside of a company. And so they inadvertently become a threat. Uh, the, the example we had before where I'm sending you email about a project that our two companies are working on. Um, as soon as it, as soon as I press send, it's out there. So um, there are other things such as uh, which sites, you know, are are radicalized. Um, you know, there, there's training on phishing. Um, we went into a company that uh, had no idea about phishing. And so what we did, we went in there, we worked with just just the chief information security officer, and we began phishing. We, we were phishing their company with all kinds of different things. And we rated the company. How many did we send and how many were opened and so on and so forth. And then, and we never told them. And then we came in and, and they were told that we were there to give them education, which we did. And we said, here's this and here's that. And we educated them. Then we went away for six weeks. And when we came back, we started fishing again. And so, you know, uh, when you do this, let's say that company scored 70 the first time when, when they knew nothing. They hadn't had any education. And we come back and we, we do the education. Now they're scoring 80. So they're improving and, and things are getting better. But if they're still at 70 or even drop below that, uh, then they didn't get it and they're vulnerable. So um, the insider threat course covers quite a bit. So, so Dean, how did you end up at the Institute of World Politics as the, the executive vice president of cybersecurity? How did that all play out? <laughs> well, 
So after being in the Silicon Valley for 20 years, um, my son and his wife, well, actually, she was the one that got pregnant. And, um, my, and they live in Alexandria, Virginia. And my wife announced that she was moving to Virginia and that if I wanted to go along, that would be just fine. So we moved to Virginia, and um, I reti- I'd retired. I, for a year, I was going back and forth to Silicon Valley to uh, winnow down uh, the business. I didn't want to leave any clients in the lurch. But then I retired. So, you know, we got a boat. We're living on Lake Anna. We're smoking cigars. We're having a good time. We're retired, right? And a friend named Larry comes and says, uh, hey, Dean, I need some help. And I said, Larry, I'm retired. And he said, well, I know that, but I need some help. <laughs> I said, but Larry, I'm retired. And so anyways, the next thing I know, I'm working on this because I really believe um, that it's needed. Uh, and I believe in the mission. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an important thing to keep the country secure. And, and that means every company. Think about, think about supply chain for a second. So, George, you're at the top of the supply chain, and I'm somebody that you've hired. And I hire a subcontractor who hires a subcontractor. Now, you're a target, right? But you're good at security, and so they can't seem to get in. But what they can do is go down your supply chain, right, hack in, and swim up. Um, so it, it's really important to look at, you know, the entire picture of what's happening, where are my vulnerabilities, where are my access points, who's my, who's my adversary, who's going to try and, and get my data. Um, and just a quick example of that would be this. So if you're the Coca-Cola company, and you have this valuable recipe, this formula for making Coca-Cola, and I am the Ford Motor Company, do you see me as a threat? Probably not. But if I'm Schweppes, or I'm Pepsi-Cola, or I'm somebody in your field, then I'm, I'm more of a threat. And so you can marshal your resources um, to, to point them correctly. That doesn't mean you can ignore people at Ford because they may have somebody trying to get into your stuff, but, um, but you can definitely um, prevent things by saying these are the kinds of actors. Again, it's knowing who your adversaries or enemies are, what their motivation is, what kind of information are they trying to steal, um, and, and how to prevent it. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. It's not, is this firewall better than that firewall? And it's not, how do I set up a perimeter? You know, that kind of thing. Well, it's, you're it's, certainly right. I mean, there's definitely a sense of purpose and a sense of mission in the cybersecurity space, especially now. We definitely need these programs, especially in the intelligence space. I mean, I'm a big believer in the intelligence-led models uh, that are being implemented right. across the industry. So I think what you're doing is, is very noble, and it's definitely needed, and I, I, and I really appreciate you giving us more detail about this. We've got to take a, another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with the Vice President of Cybersecurity for the Institute of World Politics, Mr. Dean Lane. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio. 
the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. Improve the efficiency and effectiveness of your security operations with DF Lab Security Orchestration, Automation, and Response Technology. Automate threat containment, orchestrate incident response, and measure operational performance with DF Lab's Inkman SOAR platform. Leverage your current security resources to minimize incident resolution time, maximize analyst efficiency, increase the number of incidents handled, and reduce overall risk. Inkman SOAR acts as a force multiplier, enabling your security team to do more with less. Streamline the full incident response lifecycle automation process today. Keep your cyber incidents under control with DF Labs. Visit dflabs.com forward slash TF7 to request a look at Inkman SOAR live in action. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm here with our special guest, the Vice President of Cybersecurity for the Institute of World Politics, Mr. Dean Lane. So, you know, Dean, we've been talking about uh, cyber intelligence and, and, and certifications that you have over at the IWP. And I've seen cyber intelligence defined so many different ways. Uh, everyone has sort of has a, a different view of what exactly that means. And I've seen different models built. But how do you define cyber intelligence at the IWP? Okay, um, I guess I would start out by saying uh, people try and use cyber intelligence and cyber strategy, or, or not strategy, cybersecurity interchangeably. Um, I think part of the confusion is that cyber intelligence includes uh, cybersecurity, but there are some other elements. So we have come up with a, a dictionary definition, if you will. Um, to try and clarify what we mean 
by cyber intelligence. Um, so the, the first facet of cyber intelligence is what we call a product. Um, you have to create an assessment of your adversary's capabilities, their intentions, um, their, their activities that result from collecting these things, from processing. Um, the, the evaluation and the analysis are critical. Um, and you want to try and assess what their, what their capabilities are in terms of equipment and um, what, what, what capabilities they have to secure digital property. Okay, so that's, that's the first step um, in, in defining cyber intelligence. Um, and, and you can see that's a little bit different than cybersecurity. Um, threat intelligence it comes close, okay, uh, to, to using that definition, but uh, that's the first of, of three facets of cyber intelligence. The second one is um, what we call process, and that's um, the collecting and processing of intentions capabilities, um, the opportunities that a foreign country or a foreign agent um, is, you know, which is needed by a government uh, for its foreign policy or its national security uh, through the medium, you know, of the internet and computers. Um, so information technology, virtual reality, um, you know, it's it's almost like thinking of it as as a as a game. You know, like gaming. You know, what when you get online and you're playing a game against somebody, what are their capabilities? How do they process the data? What um, where can they gather it? Do they are they gathering it from their own country? Are do they have people uh, located in my camp, so to speak? Um, so it is. How do they process the data that they're, they're looking? How do they get it? How do they process it? Um, when you think about the, the whole ninth, uh, the 2016 election and they were saying, oh yeah, they were hacking in and getting all of these Hillary emails. Um, I think that there was probably somebody on the inside with, with a hard disk drive because the, the, the number, the sheer amount of data to stream that out, we're not even talking days, we're talking weeks. And for that to go undetected seemed a little unreal to me, but that, that's a whole nother deal. So um, the third element is the threat. So um, that is, that knowledge that you have that is based on evidence that you find, okay, including what the context of that information is, what mechanisms were used, what are the indicators, um, and what is, what is the implication of, of what you're seeing about an existing or an emerging menace. So, so this shouldn't be foreign to anybody because uh, when you when you find a virus on your on your network, you pretty much go through this this process. You know, um, what's the hazard to our assets? You know, um, 
and and how do we respond to it and how do we then eradicate it so that's understanding the threat and what what to do about it so you can't look at any any one of these three things alone and say that you're executing cyber intelligence you have to take all three things into account so how does artificial intelligence and automation and machine learning and rpa how does it all fit into the intelligence program i feel like we're way beyond human intel here right i mean this is you know this is the convergence and sort of confluence of cybersecurity and intelligence right and and how that all comes together that's, that's right what's what's your view that's exactly Okay, so um, in, in order to look forward, let's go backwards for a second and think about when um, an, a, an electronic spreadsheet first came out. Okay, um, So you're working for the CFO and the CFO says, look, we're thinking about buying this building. So I want you to go do an analysis and tell me, you know, tell me everything about it. So you go off and it takes you a day or maybe two days to do the analysis, right? You come back and, and you give the, the CFO that single analysis. Well, with the advent of a spreadsheet, you could probably do six or seven analyses in a single day. Um, so it enhanced the capability. So when we think about artificial intelligence, machine learning, those kinds of things, um, I can't ever see where there wouldn't be a human being involved. But I can see that these, these tools will make them more effective, uh, will make the, the analyst um, quicker, faster. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I think with the artificial intelligence and the machine learning, it's not only the computer that will be learning. Uh, the individual will be getting the benefit of, of what is being seen and will start to see the patterns and will become even more capable. So these, these tools are really to speed things up, um, to be able to look at, um, how can I say this, to be able to look at more variables in a shorter period of time. In other words, if if we were just doing an exercise and I said, okay, George, here's, here's the problem. You have one year to solve this. You probably have enough time to figure it all out. But as we know, when you're moving at the speed of electricity, we don't have that luxury. So these tools help us to, to do the analysis, to quickly understand what the issue is and how to deal with it. So what kind, of, what kind of students are you getting for this certificate? Like, what's the audience? Are they people that are already in cybersecurity or are they people that are looking into get into cybersecurity? It's kind of interesting. We get, uh, we get people um, from all walks of life. We had, um, we had one come from uh, the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, we had one who was a student at uh, Santa Clara University in the Silicon Valley. We went out there and did a, half-day seminar, and this guy got so enthralled that he stopped what he was doing and came to Washington, D.C. to go through the program. Um, so uh, we, we get all different kinds of, of students. Um, we get uh, people who are transitioning from the military, and you know, they, maybe they have, some of them have a background in 
uh, technology and some don't. Um, and, and they just, you know, we get, uh, sometimes we do executive seminars, you know, we'll be asked to go in to a company and, and talk to the executive team so to kind of bring them up to speed uh, so that they can know what questions to ask. Because if you're not asking the right questions, you'll never get the right answer. Right, right. So, so they well, want to know. So how about the how about the instructors? What kind of what kind of instructors do you have at the at the institute? <coughs> Excuse me. So um, the instructors we have are um, uh, all of them have been practitioners. So they've been in the job. They've been in the role. Um, and many of them are also academics. So, for example, myself, although I'm not an instructor, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, I've written three books. Um, and these, these people write articles, they blog, they, um, they teach at other schools. Um, they develop courseware. They... Um, and they, they travel to foreign places. Uh, we have one, uh, one gentleman who uh, went to Israel for three months to, to uh, deal with the Israelis on cybersecurity and then came back. And so what he learns goes into his classes. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We have, uh, we have one person who... Uh, was with Deloitte and Touche, um, was with IBM, was with um, oh, um, Amazon, um, just, you know, blue chip named companies always dealing in cybersecurity. So that, that kind of an individual brings um, tremendous background. We have uh, a woman who's teaching a course on uh, international relations and cyber international relations. Uh, she's, she finished five years at the Pentagon last year, and now she's working for a three-letter agency. Uh, we have an attorney who, who teaches all about um, the legal limits of cyber and um, what you can and can't do um, with, without being prosecuted. So, we tried uh, as we were as we were putting together this cadre of instructors to make sure that we not only had good instructors but we provided the background to the students that these instructors could bring so dean i really appreciate you coming on the show i really love that you guys are fighting the good fight over at the institute of world politics and the program that you put yeah. together over there is very very interesting and reading about it uh, on the internet quite a bit, and uh, I think I might pay you guys a visit soon and, uh, and, and, and stop by and say hello. Well, George, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, and um, I hope you'll come by and, and visit us. All right, folks, we run out of time once again. I think that was a very interesting show. I think it's going to get a lot of play on social media, too. People are really interested in this kind of thing. So uh, I'm very look I'm looking forward to hearing what the response is going to be. But before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. 
That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.